Senator Menendez was a key leader in securing $25 million from the legislature for this master plan, as well as uh, $5 million for the lots of overdue structural work and improvements on the, on the present Alamo facility. And he was a Senate sponsor of a bill that laid the groundwork for, the, for the, this cooperative agreement we're talking about today. To his left is, is George P. Bush. Uh, George P. Bush has been a public school teacher in Miami, an officer in the U.S. Naval Reserve serving in Afghanistan, a businessman, oil man, an attorney, and since January of 2015, the commissioner of the Texas General Land Office. Last year, the GLO took over the management of the Alamo from the Daughters of the Republic of Texas, which is the volunteer group that had operated the site since 1905. Uh, Commissioner Bush is the chair of the board of directors of the Alamo Endowment, and he and San Antonio Mayor Ivy Taylor make up the executive committee that will be seeing the whole Alamo project. Is that correct? It's <laughs> a really complicated well, set of things. More like a veto right, but I'll take that as well. <laughs> okay. uh, and then to his left is, is Phil Collins, and well, you know, he's Phil Collins. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I noticed that in the... Two kinds, uh, <laughs> two kinds. <laughs> I in the uh, capsule description in the program, he is described as a, a musician and Alamo enthusiast. I think those are both <laughs> underwhelming descriptions. <laughs> you know, Phil is one of the great musical icons of our age, the, uh, you know, the former lead singer and drummer of, of Genesis and, a, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, a solo artist, an incomparable solo artist who has sold, what, I think, 200 million records the last time we talked. I don't know, probably many uh, more since Building then. an extension on my garage. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> to keep all these records that I bought. <clears throat> Seven Grammys. Uh, and the reason he's here, I mean, I know the reason you're here is probably because of him, but the reason <laughs> he's here is because improbably and felicitously, he is the world's uh, leading private uh, collector of Alamo artifacts and documents. I had the opportunity when I was writing an article for American History Magazine to go to Switzerland and hang out with Phil and see his collection, uh, which was just amazing. And just to give you an idea of the kind of stuff that's in it, you probably all know the famous February 25th letter that, that Travis wrote from the Alamo. It says, victory or death, we will never surrender or retreat. Every school child reads this letter. Well, there's a postscript in that letter that says, you know, P.S., the Lord is on our side. we just gotten uh, 20 or 30 head of beeves into the Alamo. Phil has the receipt for, the, for those cattle. <laughs> Uh, that Travis bought from a guy named Ignacio Perez in San Antonio de Bejar. So it's an amazing collection, and he has given it to the state of Texas to create a museum. <laughs> so we're going to talk about this, uh, this master plan sometime in late November. The uh, design firm of Preservation Design Partnership is going to present the first draft of a master plan, which will detail their recommendations for the physical rebooting of the Alamo site. This is not going to be an easy task. Uh, Texans have been saying, remember the Alamo since 1836, when it was used as a battle cry at, at San Jacinto. But exactly what we're supposed to be remembering has long been a subject of, of confusion and controversy. And that confusion uh, extends to the, uh, to the Alamo itself beginning with the idea that uh, 
that this is the Alamo. Uh, this is merely the Church of the Alamo, which was a three-acre uh, mission compound. Uh, and it looked much different back in the days of, of uh, 1836. This, was, this is a painting that was done by a, a, an American officer in the Mexican War named Edward, Edward Everett in 1847. As you can see, the Alamo didn't have its sort of Taco Bell facade back then and was a, a much different looking place. This is a painting, I hope you can see this, by uh, Gary Zaboli, uh, someone Phil knows well. Who's, he, didn't he do a couple illustrations for your book, oh, yeah. The Alamo and Beyond? Few, yeah. uh, this is what the Alamo complex looked like in 1836 during the battle. This is the church right here, which is what we saw in the earlier photos. This is what is called the Long Barracks or Convento, which is still, still exists. Everything else is gone. Uh, this, these walls on the west side of the Alamo are now, uh, well, I'll show you. Uh, this, is a, this is a kind of, it takes a minute to reorient yourself on this, but this is the, oh, sorry, the pointer's not, oh yeah, this is the Alamo church. This is the convent I was talking about, the long barracks. This is the western, what used to be the western wall. And so this area here in present day is the, is the Alamo footprint. Uh, <laughs> these are a few pictures I took uh, a week or so ago. This is, the, uh, this is what's on what used to be the west wall of the Alamo. Uh, various things like this, various businesses, and these, and the, and these buildings are in themselves historic buildings that were, that were built in the 19th, 20th century, 19th century, I guess, and early 20th. Uh, but as you can see, it's not exactly the sort of historical, uh, you know, interpretation that, that we might need to be talking about. So I just want to give you a little bit of grounding in that. And before we talk about the project that's underway, I'd like to, I'm going to get rid of that picture. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to ask, uh, beginning with you, Senator Menendez, sure. a more personal question, which is, what the Alamo means to you. You grew up, I'm assuming, Mexican-American in San Antonio. So it might be a complicated place for you and for, you know, what it means. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, my mom is an immigrant from Mexico, and my uncles and my aunts, you know, she's the one that came to the U.S. Most of her family still stayed in northern Mexico. And I would hear from them all the time they would actually give me a hard time about how we lost at mm -hmm. the Alamo, you know, and they would, you know, just kind of kid me. And, and, and it was the oddest thing because, uh, you know, it, growing up in school in San Antonio, you're, you're, uh, whether people know what your ancestry is or not, if you have any Hispanic heritage, you're a Mexican, you know. And, but when you go to visit your cousins in Mexico on my mom's side, you know, you're a gringo yeah. because I don't speak every single word exactly perfect. And so, and, and they want to, you know, just kind of ride you a little bit about uh, Texas and Texas taking, uh, or the U.S. taking Texas, all these things. And so it was, it was somewhat difficult. Uh, but I think growing up, to me, I, I always held on to the notion that, you know, what's beautiful about the Alamo, it's that that's where the movement the earnest cementing the foundation, the, the strengthening of the movement for our independence. 
as, as a, what we ended up becoming a nation mm -hmm. uh, for a while. And, uh, and I love the story of how it was people from all walks of life, that there were people of Mexican descent, that, that there were Indians, that there were uh, Texans, or people from Tennessee. There were people from all walks of life in that Alamo fighting for one cause. Mm -hmm. And that they were given a choice. That they, didn't, they weren't drafted. They had a choice. They could have left. But they chose to, to, to meet certain death. And, uh, and there's, such a, there's such a wonderful sentiment of, of just courage and perseverance and determination and, and that it, it, is a, it is a great source of pride. Uh, but, but obviously it does have some, some mixed emotions in the sense uh, not necessarily of, of mixed loyalties, but just of the fact of our history and how, how intertwined our history is mm -hmm. really uh, with Mexico and that we just need to be I think the best respect we can pay everyone is to be honest about the history. Speaking of being intertwined with history, Commissioner, you, you have a Mexican mother and a, and a Texas-born father, and you were born in Houston. So wh wh what is your experience of the Alamo? Is it, is it as complex as the senators? Well, I, I, from my standpoint, it's more of a historic perspective. Uh, I've always been an admirer of history, uh, love the unique feature of the past battles of Texas. I mean, I, I love military history, served in the military myself. And when you look at the Alamo, um, just on the surface alone, the Battle of 1836 provides the, the tourist an incredible and compelling experience. I think the opportunity for this uh, reimagining the Alamo uh, master plan is for us to take that to another level, to, to speak to who we are as a people, as Texans, as the senator points out. The Alamo can be a centerpiece for um, taking on the controversial issues of the past, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's slavery, whether it's uh, Mexican control of Mexican Texas, uh, Spanish crown control. Um, you know, so for a student of history, I find that to be intriguing, and that's what draws me to this uh, issue, other than just being your land commissioner and, and being the day-to-day uh, -day manager. Um, but I think it's important and an incredible educational opportunity for future generations. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Phil, you're kind of the odd man out because you grew up in England. Thank you. And you had the longest journey to Alamo uh, fandom of anybody I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, in England, when I was growing up, uh, uh, five or six years old, we had a little black and white television in the corner of the room. And one day, uh, you know, we turned it on and there was. King of the Wild Frontier was on with, with Fess Parker, and and there's something about him and his tassel jacket and things, you know, that <laughs> appealed to me. Five or six years old, but when he went to this place, um, which was, you know, uh, the Alamo, and the impression I got, the memories I have of my impressions at that time, were that this group of people were going, and they knew they were going to die, but they went. Uh, or they were there, you know, Crockett went, but, but they kind of, there was something very noble and very, you know, romantic uh, in a way. And very, I know that just moved me as a five or six year old. And um, from that moment, I was, you know, obsessed. I, I, I loved, I used to draw the, the facade, you know, I used to play it. Cowboys and Indians, or Mexicans and <laughs> Mexicans and Texans. You know, it was 
I think, and as I've gotten older, I've, I've started to, I mean, the last 25 years, I've read every book I can, and I found out a lot more, that it wasn't quite as black and white as that it was portrayed by Hollywood, certainly Walt Disney. And then John Wayne's um, over-romanticized film, beautiful though it was, with wonderful music, you know, I just, I've, I've learned that, that it wasn't quite as black and white as, and that's one of the things I think would be good in this day and age, which you've referred to, Senator, that, that you know, we, we put it into context that um, there were brave men on both sides of the walls, you know, and the little, the, the, the gray stuff, the, the gray bits that make up the real story. So that's what I'm very keen on, um, you know, hoping that, that this, this master plan will do because there are a lot of prejudices that still exist and uh, in this day and age when we're, you know, talking about Charlotte and everything, it, it's all, it all needs to be m much more, you know, addressed and, uh, and put, into, put into perspective, I think. But it's a wonderful place and, and I'm totally obsessed by it now. And the collection has gone to uh, Texas, the Alamo, and, and, and I'm still collecting, and that will eventually go as well. So, I remember you told me once, the, the first time you saw the Alamo, it was like meeting the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, you know, I mean, at the time when I first came here in 1970, well, in San Antonio in 1973, um, it was me and Peter Gabriel and our tour manager, and we had a day off. Each. We had three, three or four days off and we chose somewhere to go. Each of us chose somewhere to go. I said, I've got to go to the Alamo. So, um, and you could drive, you could turn right at, at the Alamo, Alamo Plaza, you know, yeah. and the Alamo was on my left. And the first time I saw that, it was, it was, um, you know, it was a wonderful experience for me. Mm. And it still is. I go there as, you know, quite often and, and I still go to visit and I, I still walk around the grounds and I still think, well, that happened there and that happened there. And I'm, I'm kind of in love with it, you know. Go ahead. I, I would like to invite you to a ceremony that happens once a year. Um, back in the mid-90s when there was an excavation, they were looking to see what was built, buried underneath. They found some bones and they, and they looked in the rosters and they saw who was buried and there were some Native American families. And so mm -hmm. the descendants of those Native Americans once a year have a sunrise uh, prayer ceremony yeah. in, in the Alamo. And I want to thank uh, the commissioner for helping make sure that that still happens uh, to honor their descendants. And it's one of the most moving experiences. And it's just maybe 20, 30 people. The descendants of, of the defenders. Of, of, the, of the Native Americans the Native who were Americans. married at yeah. sunrise. And, and um, many of them dress in the traditional yeah. And, it's, uh, and then they go for a run, but, but it's a, a very moving experience. Uh, and it's something that's unlike anything, and if you can yeah. imagine it, you know, six... Well, that's the, that's the kind of thing that most people, and I think George, who's the master planner, you know, right has, here. Has, has, been, yeah, has been battling with this, is that um, everybody knows of 1836, uh, you know, but there's such a history before, yeah. which mustn't be ignored. Yeah. And, and, and I know that we discussed at the endowment uh, meeting that I was present at that 
that the, um, there are ceremonies, you know, and the Indian family, you know, the Indian yeah. um, the tribes, you know, the the the, the, the ceremonies should carry on. You know, yeah. I mean, that's that it's before it was 1836. You know, the Alamo. Remember the Alamo? It was a you know a mission built for, to educate the Indians, and it was an Indian burial ground. You know, right. It's got such a lot of history. Commissioner, can you walk us through the, the history of this project, uh, how, it, how it began, how you got involved with it, and, uh, and you know, where it's going? Well, very briefly, when I uh, came into office, a, uh, a management agreement that was signed by uh, my predecessor <coughs> with the Daughters of the Public of Texas was scheduled to expire. Um, <coughs> and just as, as a quick Reminder, uh, then Attorney General Greg Abbott in 2010 conducted an audit on the financial management of the Alamo uh, of the Daughters, and it was a fairly scathing report. It resulted in the legislature in 2011 to hand over the custodianship to the Texas General Land Office. Yeah. So I had to make a tough decision early on in my term, and I, I made the decision we needed to go in a, in a different direction. Um, one of the first things that I did was put together a board to handle the day-to-day -day management. Uh, it is composed of nine Texans, most of whom are San Antonian. Uh, Gene Powell, the former chairman of the UT Board of Regents. Uh, I'm not sure we have any board members here this morning. Um, we also have Gene, Pow Gene Powell, Red McCombs, uh, um, of, who's a business titan, of course, in San Antonio, and Gene Powell, and uh, Ramona Bass, among others. And so we're excited about the philanthropic capacity of the board. Uh, but one of the first things that they wanted to commission was uh, conducting a global search for a master planner to help us reimagine the experience. And I'm, I'm pleased to welcome George Scarmaeus, who's the owner of PDP. And he comes to us from, from Philadelphia, who, and, and among other projects, helped to restore Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Uh, the US Supreme Court, DC, Monticello, and, and Virginia. We conducted a, a very exhaustive search. And um, I encourage each and every one of you to, to meet him uh, this morning if you have any follow-up detailed questions on the master plan. Um, right now we are in the, the second phase of a five-phase master plan where we will open to the public on a transparent basis options and designs for how to restore that original footprint that you showed earlier um, on one of your slides because um, that's one of our one of our goals is to bring authenticity to the to the visitor experience uh, historic credibility and reversibility to any construction that, that takes place. Um, and so uh, George will be commissioning those designs at the end of November. I encourage you to check out reimaginethealamo.org, a website that uh, we've stood up to uh, communicate with the public. We have Facebook, Twitter, I don't know about Instagram, but we have all the social media platforms there uh, to communicate with the public. And the state has bought those three, uh, those three buildings on the west side of the plaza. The, the Woolworth Building, the palace. Crockett, Crockett the Building, Crockett, yeah. and the Palace Building, right? So there were three, where the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum and all that kind of stuff is. Those Correct. state will own those. We, we are the landlords of that beautiful slide that you uh, saw <laughs> earlier. Um, but we do honor contractual uh, commitments, and those leases are uh, fairly long-term, and uh, they're unbreakable. Mm -hmm. So in, in that instance, and we're very open and honest in terms of our conversations with, uh, with merchants and <clears throat> in the vicinity. And I happen to be a small businessman myself. But I think even business owners in the area recognize the need for more historic deference to the, uh, to the battlefield site. 
Uh, for those of you who may have visited Gettysburg or other famous battle sites here in the U.S., uh, you'll, you'll notice that there's an immediate sense of deference, and that's what we're trying to create, but in a sure. non-confrontational Commission, my understanding is, though, that the businesses that are in the area, if we can, if, if somehow, I don't want to add a, a responsibility to anybody, but if, if somehow a solution for their relocation would be able to come up, that they're open to that, therefore uh, would be willing to uh, be a party to amending those contracts that they have. Even though they have a contract, they'd be willing to do so. Is that correct? That, that's our understanding right now, Senators, that they, and they've been more than flexible. They want to be a part of the process, and uh, we've engaged them. It's not acrimonious by right. any means. Right. Uh, so we're, we're optimistic. Yeah. What was the process like of, of, of getting this through the legislature? Was, is there bipartisan agreement on this thing? Well, or, or? you know, it's interesting. You gave me a lot of credit, but I, I, when I, as soon as I saw Phil in the back room, I, I thanked him. He should be listed as my joint author on the bill. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and for those of you who aren't familiar with the legislative process, obviously that is, uh, as, as the name entails, someone who helps you get the legislation through. Um, what I love about the Alamo and what I love about San Antonio, and, and people say it in many speeches, is that uh, when we're welcoming people to San Antonio, you know, please consider it your second home. And mostly everyone who comes to San Antonio feels so welcome. That, but for people who are, have anything to do with Texas history or, or uh, government, I, everyone feels that the Alamo is a part of the state. And, and so yes, it's located in San Antonio, but it, it really, it's where our uh, honest, earnest, uh, definition for our independence started. You know, that's why we call it the cradle of Texas Liberty. Um, and Phil came to the Capitol last session, and he was gracious enough to, uh, to take lots of selfies and sign lots of autographs and, <laughs> and, and hang, hang out in uh, and, and, and a lunch with a lot of uh, elected officials. And I think that after they heard Phil's story, much like we heard it just a few minutes ago, um, even though they had a, a sense, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. Sometimes when something's in your own backyard, you don't pay oh, yeah. as much attention to it, you don't think of it as, as much, and, but, but Phil sort of refocused that for a lot of people. And so um, it, was, uh, it was not as, as hard as anybody might think. The, the, the issue was how much. And we, we were able to agree that we needed the $5 million because of the crumbling foundation, the ceiling issues. We needed a, an emergency amount of money, and the commissioner had that on his list of what he needed to get the place up and running. He had all the bids. Uh, but some of the leadership in the Senate were very clear with me, and this is what I love to hear. They said, we're going to entrust you with this. We've agreed. But don't go out and get a low bid, shoddy workmanship. And so that's what's so important about the national search that led us to George, because George, having worked on the Supreme Court, having worked on Independence Hall, having worked on you know, being a, a, a world-renowned uh, restorer of historic places, that's what we need. Because I, I feel bad. I mean, shortly after my election, I took a group of neighborhood leaders, presidents and stuff, to tour the city, my district, and the Alamo was one of our stops. I couldn't tell you how many of them were like, Oh, we hadn't been here in years. Oh, is that, is that it? And, and, and it, it was a feeling like they got off the bus and they fought traffic to get across the street. We literally had to stop traffic. It, it just didn't have that feeling of, of an Independence Hall, of a Gettysburg. And, and we have to find a way um, 
regardless of where you come from to your reverence for the Alamo, I really don't care what originates your feeling of, 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 of concern and care for, that, for this piece of history. What I want to have happen is that every child has an opportunity to really get the importance of what this place was and, and where, it, where, where it stands in our history. I mean, it's almost like getting to watch the birthplace of a great you know, uh, state. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to see it uh, given that respect that it's, it, deserves, it deserves. Well, one of the elements of that will, of course, be the Phil's collection. Yep. And uh, what do you, I mean, the master plan is yet to be unveiled or even, or even you know, presented in, in a draft form. But Phil, do you have a sense of how you'd like your stuff to be shown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I visited, I don't upset anybody, I hope, um, but as an Englishman, I feel I can tread more dangerously than some, uh. you know. Um, I started to think about um, what was going to happen, you know, when, in, you know, in your affairs. And someone said to me, my, you know, my, my accountant said to me, what are you going to do with the uh, Alamo collection? And I said, well, it should go to a museum. I mean, my youngest child, Matthew, kind of was a little upset because I think he, you know, he's followed this, he can name all the people in the, in, you know, involved in the, that particular San Jacinto and, and uh, Goliad and, and the Alamo. But, um, so I, I went to see, you know, I thought a couple of museums. I, so I came to San Antonio, visited a couple of museums. And, um, you know, it's like, a, you, I went into one of them, and I, I no need to mention the name, but it was very pristine, very lots of glass, lots of chrome. Things were arranged very neatly, and it didn't seem that's you know it didn't seem to be what I wanted or what I imagined. I did come to the Bullock Museum here, and they did have some exhibits which were, you know, in the dirt. You know, they had some pictures behind to put it into context. And I think that's what I would like to see. And I think everybody, I mean, George uh, and, you know, we've met a few times over the last couple of days and we're, we're agreed on, on getting um, that kind of feel, I think. You know, it's still up for, up for grabs. But I just would like to, you know, we, we found, uh, I, I mean, I've collected a lot of things that were uh, standalone items, but I've also found, uh, collected lots of buttons, you know, lots of, small things that were personal to Mexican soldiers or, or the defenders. And I think it would be nice to, to show that, that those pieces rather than the, most museums put them in boxes and you never see them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it would be nice to show most of the collection, if not all of it. That was one of my stipulations. And I, I said to Jerry Patterson, who was your predecessor, pre predecessor uh, that I wanted, I didn't want it to be in boxes. Otherwise, you know, I can, I'll keep it, you know, mm -hmm. and put it out at home right. so I can see it. <laughs> There's no point in having this stuff in boxes. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, I'd like it all to be displayed and I'd like it to be displayed, to be displayed in context. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's, that's probably what will happen. And I, I'm gonna be involved in what, how it's displayed mm -hmm. at some point when it gets to that moment. But, uh, you know, it's, it's for, believe me, for, from being a five or six-year-old who, who loved the whole story, and that the only story I knew at that time was the story we were all fed by Hollywood, but, but 
to, to sit here now with these gentlemen and yourself, you know, who we know each other very well, and, you know, to be sitting here talking about something that's involved with the, this place that I started loving when I was five or six years old, you know, is quite extraordinary for me. So I'm very proud to be here and very proud to put my collection at the hands so that people can see it because all it was, it was in my basement in Switzerland in museum cases I had built. But, you know, no one ever saw it apart from me. Mm. And now people will be able to come and see it. And, and I think that's a, that's a great thing that, that it, people will be able to enjoy it. You know? I, think, I think the Alamo is a... <laughs> Uh, I think the Alamo is a, is a somewhat unique historical site, and I, I, George Scarmaeus, I'm sure you had understand this idea too. The, Al the Alamo was begun, I mean, not begun, but it was given to the Daughters of the Republic of Texas in 1905 to operate by the state of Texas as a shrine. Uh, and there is a very deep at the base of the Alamo story is a myth. Of, of noble self-sacrifice, and and it's it's even today it's regarded as a shrine. You know, there's a sign on the front of, of the Alamo Church telling gentlemen to remove their hats. And they're really serious about that. I mean, you don't you leave your hat off when you go into the Alamo. So is there? You know, I just sort of like to ask each of these question. I don't know where it would go, but is there a is there a tension? between the idea of the Alamo as a sacred space and an historical site, and can that gap be bridged by this plan we're talking about? I, I, I'd like to start if it's okay. Sure. I, I, I think that constructive tension is positive. Mm -hmm. I think that tension means people care. When people don't care, they just ignore. Mm -hmm. So I like that, and I think the Alamo is enough of an important place to have phases. And I think the chapel, as a place where religious ceremonies, where burials, where weddings, where, where, where important rituals have been, I think that should be a sacred place. But I think you have more on those grounds to be able to, to expand. Mm -hmm. I, think the, I think the chapel itself should be sort of recognized as what it was, and then as we do the master plan, we have opportunities to lay out the pieces. And, and it might be an opportunity as however it, it goes forward to maybe for pieces that where a soldier's hat or gun or rifle, whatever laid out, was where the wall used to be and maybe he fell there or something that, that you could put them out in a way that as you come, it doesn't take just eight to 10 minutes, which the average visitor spends today, mm. that you could actually have to experience what, what it was like. And then you have a few stories. You have the, the very important battle of 1836 that so many people have written to me, and, and particularly from out of state, worried that we're trying to rewrite history. And I mean, there's nothing to that. No one wants to rewrite history. We want history plus. We want the whole history, mm -hmm. and therefore, there's an opportunity to say, and this is where things, agriculture took place, and this is where other things happened, that, that could be something that adds to it. Because I think your collection and other things that we'll find will tell a broader story. Yeah. I mean, I started collecting um, 
when I started collecting art, my, my, my kind of blinkered view was to just to get things related to the Alamo. You know, I wasn't interested in anything else. And slowly I became aware that of what led to it, you know, all the, the before that and what came from it. So the collection grew in, you know, it's still, you know, I know you're doing a book on Texas, but I mean, you know, this is like a little, a little umbrella underneath a huge umbrella. And so that's what I, I started collecting. And I think, I mean, two things. There, there was talk from Gary Foreman, for example, uh, about almost like you know, rebuilding, you know? And I think that's just gonna end up like a movie set, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but how you, people come here, or come to San Antonio, sorry, people come to see the Alamo um, because of what they know about it. Mm -hmm. But the thing is to sort of, I think, being in a band, you know, and, and constructing a, a song set, you know, you tease people, you know, you, you can't just play lots of new things because they don't know it and people know, like what they know. So, you, you know, you place songs in a certain way to gain their enthusiasm and to gain their, gain their trust and then you hit them with something new. Then you go back to some. <laughs> so, I, you know, you don't think about this, you know, psychological warfare, I'm sorry. But, um, but it's the way you end up winning an audience. And I think we, that's the similar kind of thing yeah. that we have to do exactly. with the way, you know, if you, if you lay out a, a whole, you know, 50, 100 years of, of history before 1836, you know, some people are gonna glaze over. I mean, I, and although there's lots of interesting stuff in there, you have gotta yeah. play games with them. And, and, right. and I think that's the way it's, it can work best. Yeah in terms of a museum. Yeah. Mr. Do you have any sense of, of the wrong way to do this? <laughs> I mean, are, are, in terms of like, you know, bridging the gap we're talking about, I mean, it, 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 and I guess another question related to that is what kind of pushback do you get from people? Uh, Senator mentioned that, that he was, you know, that there were people who were saying that you're, you know, you're gonna ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> and there is a kind of, there's a kind of mom and pop fucking funkiness to the to the Alamo as it is that some people might miss. I mean, what, how how do you incorporate all these constituencies, these kind of uh, you know nostalgic constituencies into this place? Well, first, if I could say, I, I agree with the center. I think that's what makes history so special, at least in in my heart, um, is is the uh, the tension. So, for example our group had a chance to travel to Independence Hall. And George, as I mentioned before, was involved in that project. How do you tell the story of slave quarters in the vicinity of Independence Hall, where 100 years before that, the drafters were, were uh, working on important documents, such as mm -hmm. the Declaration of the Constitution? And how do you square that? Um, so I can't think of anything more, um, more difficult uh, and more complicated than that storytelling. And for those of you that may have had a chance to visit it, they, there's, there's a deference. You know that uh, great things and documents were drafted, but there's also a story with respect to post-colonial uh, era. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we're attempting to do. I, I just want to make it clear, this isn't about me, and it's not going to be about uh, the three panelists on the stage uh, in the master planning process. We're fully engaging the public's opinion, but with um, but with eyes wide open, knowing that we have to prioritize what brings people. 
the center also mentioned that, and it's similar to the experience of our COO, who formerly ran the 9-11 Memorial. When he would welcome millions of tourists to Ground Zero and to the, uh, to the museum itself, he noticed that actual, whether it was relatives of somebody who had uh, lost a loved one in 9-11 or somebody who came from uh, the Middle East, that everybody has their own interpretation, their own connection to the visit itself. And so, um, so I, I fully recognize that it's gonna be the biggest challenge we encounter when we develop the museum and visitor center. One final point, and this is an important uh, timeline for us, is that the contractual agreement the state of Texas has with Phil is that we have to have substantial completion toward a permanent uh, demonstration of his collection, which is world-recognized private collection. So uh, we are now in year six, unless you're willing to amend that agreement. Uh, <laughs> we have six years left, so, um, so this will be a challenge, but that's why we welcome the public, your engagement, your thoughts, and feedback as we move forward in, in phase two. That timeline's also constructive tension. I think we should <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we need that's to true. have that timeline to keep a little pressure on us. Uh, one thing that we have not mentioned that's important that, that say, and, and he almost deserves a seat, he does deserve a seat as well, uh, former city councilman who, uh, while on city council, worked very hard to start the city's interest in renewing the Alamo space and now state representative Diego Bernal. He was a great partner mm -hmm. in uh, making this legislation pass through the House as well and has remained very active and vigilant as well. And so I, I, I need to give him a shout out because he's worked hard. Uh, from his days on city hall, at city council and now as a state rep and he continues to be fully engaged as well. And, and by the way, the 31 million-ish dollars appropriated by the legislature, 31.5, but who's counting? <laughs> that, is, that is not the cost of this thing. No. Uh, that is like the, the, you know, the beginning, the, the startup money. And so the, you're gonna, you guys are going to have to raise, or we are, as citizens are going to have to raise a ton of money to make this happen, so just beware. <laughs> in, in, in my legislative appropriation request, I've uh, gone big. Uh, I've asked for 75 million, mm -hmm. um, and you know that was a historic appropriation. And we recognize with a tighter budget, uh, it will be a more difficult ask. But as part of that, I'm also informing legislators that uh, the the private sector will be a part of this. Mm -hmm. If you include Phil's collection, which we can you know estimate what the value of that is. The city's commitment of 17 million. They have a bond package going to voters uh, this November, uh, in addition to the state's uh, past, but hopefully future contribution. I mean, we're looking at um, you know, a, a nine-digit number uh, to make this happen. But I think most people recognize that we have to do this. Uh, and one other, um, and you touched on this before, is that in, in 2024, we will reach the 300th anniversary of the construction of the of the uh, of the church, and so that is it, that that is a a deadline that we're all seeking to uh, to pursue as well. We have time for questions from the audience. Is any I can't see very well. Are there microphones there's, here or not? There's folks right here. Yes, sir. I, I don't know if there are microphones, but go ahead and. It looks like Bob Rivard. Is that you, Bob? I'm it's hard to see with the lights in our face. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> there are, there are microphones. On. Well, we could have carpooled from San Antonio. <laughs> Good morning, great panel. Um, two questions. Congressman Doggett inserted some language into the 2017 appropriations bill 
um, urging the General uh, Services Administration to start negotiating with, um, with all of you toward the possibility of the Hippolito Garcia Federal Building being turned over and becoming part of the master plan. Obviously, it's a, it's a, a beautiful historic building. It's had a lot of investment in it. It would be a great place for Phil Collins' collection. And a related second question, um, obviously the litigation did not work out to where the state acquired the daughter's uh, library. It now has a very iffy home in principle with Texas A&M and Bexar County, but why doesn't the state move to purchase that library from the daughters since they apparently don't have the funds to adequately curate it? Thank you. If I could address the, the first question, Congressman Doggett, um, in addition to Congressman Culberson out of Houston deserve a lot of credit for helping us behind the scenes with respect to our interactions uh, at the federal level, particularly at the, the GSA. Little known fact is that the Alamo is actually right within his uh, district and um, he you know, represents both Austin and San Antonio and recognizes this is the most important historic landmark he has. And so um, he joined us last night for a reception honoring Phil and, uh, and George Scarmius uh, gave us an update on, on master plan activities. So we're thankful for his support in, in terms of the legislation. Uh, with respect to... Um, Excuse me, Commissioner, could you, yeah. could you tell people what the Hippolito Garcia building is and this, just so that we'll have a sense of what we're talking about? So the federal post office building is located at the northwest uh, location of where the original walls of the com compound were located. Um, it, regretfully, it's protected by um, historic code, and there's very little, at least from my rudimentary understanding, of what we can do to, um, to, to redevelop that site or repurpose it. But it's a, it's a building that the federal government has actually invested quite a bit uh, of, of capital into, even as of late. Um, there are federal tenants in there. I think Congressman Cuellar has an office in there. Few uh, members of the state ledge, I believe, as well have an office. It can be utilized for exhibit space, uh, potential administrative space. Uh, all options are at the table, on the table right now. Um, but because of our partnerships at the federal level, we're able to utilize that building potentially as a, a contribution to the, uh, to the master plan. Because it's right uh, on the north wall of, the, of where the Alamo was. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's on the, it, it actually sits in the original footprint, which uh, presents an additional challenge. But It's haunted uh, too, they tell me. George <laughs> tell me. <laughs> It, it has wonderful mosaics on, in the inside, and it's a beautiful, beautiful building with new federal courthouse actually in San Antonio. There may be some possibilities where some of the federal tenants can uh, reorganize and consolidate in the other building. Sure. Um, so we're constantly in communication uh, with the DRT to look at any and all options. Uh, my understanding is that they have their uh, agreement with uh, A&M San Antonio. Um, and, we're, and we feel confident that the, uh, the collection is in, is in good stead um, from a management perspective. But um, like I said, we're, um, we're not only opportunistic with respect to real estate in the vicinity of the Alamo, but with respect to historic collections uh, in, in, the, uh, in the area. Um, and just to be clear, the litigation that the daughters pursued against the state was uh, with respect to the contents of the uh, as you had mentioned, and that's an important point because a lot of people think that it was over the day-to-day -day management of, uh, of the Alamo. And so um, we're constantly in contact. Um, now that we're out of our litigation, we can now focus on uh, the bigger uh, picture items that we've discussed today. 
think there's, is there a microphone over there? Or yes, am I sir. imagining that? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Today, the Alamo is revered and hallowed. The first time I saw it, we were living in San Antonio, and it was like, this is all it, you know, it was like you turn a corner downtown, and there it is. Can you address how it came, it went from disregard and, and all that property being used for other purposes to today where it's, you know, hollowed ground and, uh, you know, what happened historically where that area just got, hey, it's land, let's put a building here. Well, as was mentioned in the presentation, the, uh, the, the Ripley's buildings, as they are called, were uh, early 20th century uh, construction. They are protected by historic code. Um, and if you look at, and George um, can visit on this in more detail, you can see overhead imagery of uh, the vicinity of the Alamo over time. And you just see, it, and it's, it's really contrarian, but we hear uh, when tourists visit the grounds, why is this in the middle of San Antonio? Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, this is the most visited site in the state of Texas, 1.7 million visitors. We hear just about everything. Um, but that's going to be one of the challenges we face. And I think, there, but there's other case studies here in the country where foundations and, and state governments have come together to, to uh, reimagine that experience, create more of a sense of deference. So there are uh, complications. I'd mentioned the lessees that we have, the Ripley's, uh, but we're in constant contact in terms of alternatives for them. Uh, my question was more about that interim period. Um, I mean, if it's hollowed ground and it was a you know, pivotal point in Texas history between 1836 and you know, the early 19th century, it was just another place? Well, it, it's, it helps sometimes to look at very old photographs. And when I've done that, when I've looked at very old photographs, and you'll see some stables right next to the chapel, and you'll see the Menger Hotel, right? And you'll see that. I mean, you've got to remember, too, we lost, right? So <laughs> one, of the things, one of the things that I find interesting is not a lot of places honor their, where they had a tremendous loss or tragedy, OK? Typically, you try to remember your big victories. What I think is really important is that we've, we've matured as a state. We've, uh, we've grown up to accept what happened as a turning point in our history. I think there, came a, there was a time where it just there, the city was growing, and people were trying to go on with commerce, and it was just the center of the city. And, and I think we can't be responsible for the mistakes of the past. What I love is that here we have a gentleman who's come from England to tell us the story about how this moved him as a child to collect for his whole adult life and, and that it's so important that he's probably one of many examples and that we need to try to impart that same type of reverence uh, on our own citizens, our own people here in our state to understand what had happened there so that they, they maybe might get interested in what happened at the Battle of San Jacinto and Goliath. His son probably knows more than most of our kids in our schools here. And that's a shame. And so I think that I'm so glad to have them working in partnership with the rest of the members of the legislature because I want us to understand our history so that we can better understand ourselves better who we are. And I think in doing so, we will live better in peace. And, and at the very beginning, Phil said something about there's a lack of, there has been a lack of authenticity, a lack of, of being just genuine and honest with each other. And the more we do that with each other, the easier it is for us to get along because we understand each other better. I think it's, sorry, so I, I just also think that the city is, I mean, there, there are very few um, 
battle sites, if you like, in the middle of a town. You know yeah. I, mean? I know that the town grew up around it and has kind of encroached upon the, the compound and the footprint, but you know, the only other one I can think of is the, is the Tower of London in, in England, where you, know, you still have the walls from, from medieval, you know, from, from the earliest. But London has, has grown up around that without actually encroaching upon that area. But most, most of these battle sites are out of town or you, know, you kind of go to visit and it's, it's a different thing. Here you've got traffic and you, know, it's, it's, you can't really halt the system, um, but it's a way, it's how you modify it to, uh, you know, to, to entertain the idea of what what is trying to be achieved here. You know? yeah. My question is related, uh, but first I just want to set the historical record correct. Senator Menendez, you did not lose at the Alamo, and the children of San Antonio need to remember that. Well, I don't know who which side you're putting me on, but go ahead. <laughs> My question has to do about land value and land use. And that's the controversy with the master plan. I live in San Antonio. All of the missions have been declared a world historical site. And all of a sudden, the land around the rest of those missions is prime development property. The Alamo is surrounded by hotels and tourist businesses, and that's what's developed naturally. How do we protect those neighborhoods of the South Side, those uh, parishes and active congregations in the missions, and make sure that that development is in keeping with those very close-knit communities and neighborhoods of the South Side, and it doesn't become boutique hotels and luxury condos? Well, I, I can't really speak to the, uh, to the other missions um, uh, development plan to be, to be very candid with you. Uh, with respect to our plan, uh, we're constantly engaging uh, local entrepreneurs, local business owners, um, all the asset owners. In fact, just this past week, I uh, was in Galveston visiting with two such owners uh, in terms of assessing ways in which we can work together. We can do this in a collaborative way where, where everybody wins. Um, and I think one of the best feedbacks that we've heard, and uh, Becky Denon, who's our executive director, uh, at the Alamo who's boots on ground every single day is that a lot of local business owners are, are impressed with the fact that we engage them on a daily basis. And so um, we're going to do this in a sensible way. We're going to do it in a way where the community benefits and that the community uh, is more engaged than ever, at least with respect to the mission de, la, de Valero. I'm interested to know uh, why you said we didn't lose. Um, the who you, who the you Mexicans won to? the battle at the Alamo. <laughs> I'm an American. They didn't lose the war, but they did, win, they did win that battle. Yeah. Right. The Mexicans won that battle. I have friends who are Hispanic who take their children to the Alamo and remind them that they did not lose at the Alamo. No, this is true, but, but I'm going I'm to, I, you know, I, this is what I love about Texans. No matter where you go in the world and you start talking, hey, where are you from? You're visiting stuff. So, if it's a Texan, the first thing they say, I'm a Texan. They, 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 have you noticed that? People don't say, I, I mean, they go, I'm a Texan. And, and, and you know, they, me and my cousins got into a lot of arguments over this. And, and, and the reality is we're, I'm, I'm proud of our history. I'm not proud of everything that's occurred, 
not just, you know, in the, because there's blemishes on all, every society has had its, its blemishes, and you talked about slavery, and I think that's one of the big ones, and the biggest uh, that we've had, and uh, so the issue for me is that I just want us to be honest, you know, and I tell my children the same thing I, I feel, and my parents were, my parents were immigrants, my mom from Mexico, my dad from Cuba, I was like, look, you're an American, of Hispanic descent, you know, and I'm proud of my descent. I'm proud of my, my Mexican family. I'm proud of my Cuban family. Uh, but the fact of the matter is I am an American and I'm a Texan and therefore I view history through that, but I want to be honest about it because I think everybody has a room at the table because I want to be mature enough to say, yeah, I lost there, but guess what? I got you at San Jacinto. But you're avoiding <laughs> my question about boundaries. Uh, I think we have time for one more question. around the other missions. Yeah, I, I was going to ask a question to Phil. Uh, with your love of Alamo history and uh, your uh, past as a recording artist and uh, your continuation, I understand you're back recording as well. How much of an influence has uh, Alamo history, Texas history, had on you as a recording artist? And uh, then also, as far as your collection, what do you think is your probably the piece that you really want to see get a good uh, location within the Alamo to be displayed? Um, I don't think, you know, I don't think, uh, I, I've left writing songs about the Alamo and Texas to other people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to do it much better than I would, and there's a lot of it. So I, I kind of have kept the two things very separate. I, did, I, I think that one of the things that appealed to me, as I mentioned before, was um, because, and, and I, relating to the, the gentleman before, you know, about winning and losing and who was right, who was wrong, who was the good guys, who were the bad guys. Um, when, I, when I was five or six, you know, um, I was fed who were the good guys, who were the bad guys, you know, by Hollywood. And, um, but it was the romance of the thing, and I guess in my songwriting, that feeling, um, comes over with a lot of my music. And, and in fact, on one of my albums, uh, that there's a song, and, and I put a couple of lines by each song as to what that song meant to me. And one of them was, was to do the right thing, to always try to do the right thing. And that was why I think that's one of the things that I, I kind of remember thinking when I saw King of the Wild Frontier, which was these guys were at this place, and they were doing what they thought was right. Um, uh, but in terms of the collection, you know, it, there's, there's so many things and on any given day I could go down, you know, when I was seeing it every day in my house, you know, I, could, I would just go down there to look, grab a book or, and each day there would be something. I thought, that's, that's, that's amazing, you know. Um, whether it's the Joe Musso Bowie knife, you know, which he was so convinced was Bowie's. I've got a few other Bowie uh, items, like a sword that was taken at San Jacinto because someone had taken it from him at the Alamo. And, uh, you know, there's, they've all got stories. And so any given day it changes. My first thing that I, I, I got was the uh, receipt. It was given to me by my wife. Um, and, and it was the receipt for John W. Smith's saddle. And John W. Smith, I've had a constant fascination with him ever since because there are no images of him. And he was the first Anglo mayor of San Antonio and his wife has had a photograph, you know, fearsome looking woman too. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I mean, you know, women were different in those days. 
But, um, but we still no, have some of those here. <laughs> there's, there's no images of John W. Smith. I, I, I kind of, over, since that, that piece, which is just a little receipt for his saddle, and I thought, it, this guy, just 10 days before San Jacinto, a month after the Alamo, had to sell his saddle. You know, and how many miles that saddle had done for Texas and taking messages in mm. and out of the Alamo. So that was a fascinating piece to me. And um, say so sometimes, you know, the receipts for the beeves, you know, just little scraps of paper. Mm -hmm. And uh, but, but there's so much story behind them. So, mm. uh, you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be great. That people can see this stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm just I get excited thinking about it. Phil, we all are, and we're all we're out of time. But thank you all so much for coming here. Thank you all. We'll see you soon.